I'm Jen Mazur, Associate Director of Internal Communications at Syracuse University, and you're listening to the Q's Conversations podcast. The Haudenosaunee went through great wars and great turmoil because we had forgotten our original instructions, which uh, we say that all peoples around the world have been given original instructions how to live as human beings um, on this earth. And um, I like to tell the students, you know, how the Haudenosaunee were sitting in the capital of, of the Confederacy. We are on Onondaga Nation homeland. And I try to guide them through this process of the power of forgiveness, because that's what happened. That's how we came to these principles of peace is through love and forgiveness. Welcome back to another episode of Q's Conversations. We're thrilled to be joined today by Diane Shenandoah, a staff member in the Barnes Center at the Arch, who joined Syracuse University last fall in the role of Oa Deanawasik, yes. which is the Haudenosaunee word for one who helps them. She is a faith keeper of the United Nation Wolf Clan, a 2011 alumna of the College of Visual and Performing Arts, a graduate of the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico, a sculptor, a singer, and an all-around lovely human being, as far as I can tell. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. So I was hoping we could start by um, just starting with your, you know, going back to the beginning. Tell me about your cultural background and upbringing and, you know, what was your life like as a young young girl growing up on Oneida Nation? Well, uh, you know, as, as a young girl, my mother uh, was a clan mother, a wolf clan mother of the United Nation. And, you know, she was responsible for the social, political and spiritual well-being of our people. And many times I would wake up with strangers in our living room, people that needed a place to stay or she'd be walking with a, you know, package of diapers under one arm and groceries and coming in and just kind of, you know, overseeing and overlooking the community. People look to her for guidance. And uh, she kind of reestablished the Oneida Nation territory out in Oneida. My father was a uh, pine tree chief of the Onondaga Nation. Um, he had passed early on um, when I was 12. So um, my mother is a very strong woman. There were uh, six of my, my, myself, my siblings and um, five sisters and one one brother and uh, so we had a we had a fun childhood growing up um, my father was a jazz guitarist for Duke Ellington so I was raised around a lot of music um, a lot of our culture we would do educational programs in the school system throughout central New York and um, we we're just raised uh, very strongly in our culture which I'm very uh, grateful for so you know and growing up and then of course she was very supportive of the arts so she would let me just paint on my bedroom walls and you know just have fun with it and just encourage really creativity she was an amazing artist herself so uh, she had wanted me to be a painter so when I went out to Santa Fe in the uh, early 80s I tried my hand at painting was not good at it <laughs> and tried sculpting and I absolutely fell in love I started out with clay and moved on to stone and then bone and wood and antler and uh, bronze. So I've had a really, uh, I, I love carving. And that's what I've done for the last you know, 40 years until I came here to SU. Awesome. Well, that's a perfect segue because that was my next question. You know, you've now been here as a team member in the Barn Center at the Arch for a little over a year or just about a year? Uh, since, since July. So okay. July I've been a year. Uh -huh. Okay. Awesome. So what has your first year on the job been like? Uh, and what does this role at SU mean to you? But, you know, it's really been uh, an amazing position. It's only part-time. I'm here Monday, Tuesday, and half a day Wednesday. And um, 
there was really no definitive uh, direction in the job description other than, you know, helping students. And um, so I've kind of taken it upon uh, as my role of faith keeper in sharing our teachings with students. And some of the very basic, simple teachings are to be grateful for all things, to have, you know, that gratitude in your heart. We brought forth a Thanksgiving address, uh, the importance of the Thanksgiving address. We now, uh, the pharmacy now carries that. Uh, the importance of sage and cleansing. Uh, I talk with students about finding their center, their balance. A lot of students are homesick, far away from home. Um, and I just come in, talk to them about the, you know, our teachings. We all come here with gifts. We're all creative beings and we need to give thanks for, for all things that surround us. So that and doing energy work, kind of showing them little uh, tools they can use in their daily life uh, with with energy work. I also use tuning forks um, and their, you know, particular acupressure points with the tuning forks. Um, I do dream interpretation. Um, It's it's really rewarding to see the student's face light up when they discover their own inner strengths or their own energy or their own, you know, centeredness or, you know, I just give them a lot of tools that they can use you know, as students here at SU and beyond in their lives, you know, and their families. So we have like full moon ceremonies uh, every month. And that's just kind of to take a pause and, you know, thank grandmother moon. She watches over the nighttime sky. She controls the cycles of the water, the ocean tides, the planting cycles, the cycle of women. Uh, She determines our ceremonies when babies are born. So uh, grandmother moon uh, is continuing her duties. So we just stop and take a pause once a month to to have a small full moon ceremony where we think get to thank water, we get to send good thoughts and and our good energy, uh, you know, to the creator through our through our tobacco burning. So I don't burn tobacco here, but <laughs> I <laughs> well, I was home, yeah. blessed enough to attend the recent full moon ceremony in October, and it was just such a wonderful experience and such a different experience. I think for members of the community, you know, we tend to get so caught up in the day to day that that pause and and taking the time to express gratitude and be thankful for all the gifts we have, especially in today's climate and culture, which can seem so overwhelming to people at times and so go, 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 go. So I really appreciate that you're bringing these opportunities monthly for pause and gratitude and reflection. Thank you. I'm so glad you attended. That's wonderful. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. So so on the topic of gratitude, which you just mentioned, I'm just curious, you know, how in your from your perspective, do you think being grateful can help sort of serve as an antidote to, again, these times we're living in that can seem so frenzied and, and so negative at times? Um, I personally practice gratitude in my own life and find it to be very powerful. So what would you say about that? Oh, absolutely. When you're grateful, it's, it's, uh, when you're grateful for all things, it, it gives off a certain energy inside of you of, of awareness of who you are, what's in your life, where you, you know, what you do have in your life as opposed to what you don't have in your life. Being grateful for all things, even tough lessons, even, um, some hardships because there are lessons before us that, that are put in front of us for specific reasons to bring us to our highest good. And so if we can use a good mind in all things, that's where gratitude will bring you to that good mind because we are really uh, so blessed because we have everything that we need from the earth. You know, Mother Earth gives us all that we need. We have water, we have food, we have, you know, and and not everybody has these things, but it's a matter of acknowledging, looking out for and taking care of one another as a community. 
And that's what I try and encourage the students here. You're a community here and looking out for one another. You know, the city of Syracuse is a community to look out for one another. And it goes beyond that, you know, to check in. A lot of people don't know their neighbors. You know, a lot of people don't know who is who lives around them, you know, especially being in a city. Um, so I think that that energy of gratitude is is um, contagious, if you will, you know, like you smile at somebody and they'll smile back, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice feeling, you know, just to share that bit of energy because we're all connected. We're all connected and, and all need each other. So you mentioned some of your, you know, techniques and modalities that you practice with students, the art, art therapy, tuning forks, acupressure. Can you walk us through what your, what your typical process is when a student comes in to work with you? Like what would their experience be like and how do you kind of get to the bottom of what they might need or what they might be looking for by coming to see you? Well, I, I start out with telling them how the Haudenosaunee uh, came together. They came together as a confederacy. And, um, you know, how the Haudenosaunee went through great wars and great turmoil because we had forgotten our original instructions, which uh, we say that all peoples around the world have been given original instructions how to live as human beings on, on this earth. And um, I like to tell the students, you know, how the Haudenosaunee were sitting in the capital of, of the Confederacy. We are on Onondaga Nation homeland. And I try to guide them through this process of the power of forgiveness, because that's what happened. That's how we came to these principles of peace is through love and forgiveness. So I kind of guide the students through, through the uh, teachings and um, share with them the power of forgiveness through love. And you can't forgive without love. So to bring that love to the forefront, you have to really love yourself. You have to love and care about you and uh, understand that we have protectors and guides, understand that we are, we come here with a very specific purpose. We come here with very special gifts. And those are the gifts that we need to, to, to look for, for our happiness. Nobody reminds the birds to sing in the morning. They sing in the morning because they're happy. So as human beings, um, we need to remember that that's part of our duty here on earth is to be happy and enjoy life. And yes, hard things happen. There's hardships that happen, but in, in and of itself, there's always things to look forward to, to be grateful for because there are lessons in front of us that will bring us to our highest good. So that's when I um, share with them uh, their own abilities to work with their own energy, clear their own space, clear their own mind. And also now the pharmacy carries sage and sage is a wonderful tool uh, to kind of clear the energy you know, of yourself and of your room and of your, wherever you live, your home. And um, then, you know, we talk about uh, all of nature and the energy, the healing energy that nature carries, you know, the, the, the forest, if you walk into the woods, and just kind of connect with the energy from the forest. They are all living beings. They are our relatives. They're not our resources. Mm -hmm. And when we can learn and understand that that sharing of the energy and the and the gratitude that we can share as well for all living things, that's when we come to the Thanksgiving address. And the Thanksgiving address is um, the word spoken before all else. And we say that this is uh, spoken before every gathering, be before every ceremony, uh, and and it's a good to put into practice. Uh, there's a shortened version in in the pharmacy, the Thanksgiving address book, that um, 
uh, as was done by Chief Jake Swankaha. And in there, it has the, the, all of the, the different elements to be grateful for. The earth, Mother Earth gives us all we need, the water, um, all that is in the water. Our bodies are partially water, so we have to remember that to give thanks for our body, our cells, our human beings. And then it moves on up to the animals and plant life, the medicine plants and, and the trees on up through the, you know, all that lives in the trees. And, and so it kind of like moves on up out to, you know, the birds and of course the, the protectors, the beings, the teachers, you know, uh, all of, all of the uh, four directions and, you know, on up to the, the creator and of course this is incredibly brief <laughs> brief description of it but it's a very um is that time again to acknowledge for all things and be thankful and grateful for all things and say thank you and that's how life continues that energy of gratitude helps all of life continue yeah so i mean just hearing you describe a session i feel much more relaxed and grounded so i can only imagine oh. <laughs> what, what benefit it's having for our students oh, um Without going into obviously to any identifying details, are there any stories or examples you can think of from your time so far where you feel like you've really made a difference in a student's life or if they've reached out to you after the fact and expressed gratitude for um, how you were able to help them or any anecdotes like that? Oh, for sure. There there have been a few students actually that would just, you know, after we've had our talk and our session and burst into tears and say, I'm so grateful you're here and, you know, thank you so much. And um you know, some have come back for several sessions, uh, you know, just to get some more energy work or to do dream interpretation or, you know, just, just kind of having those conversations about, you know, the teachings or gratitude. I mean, I've had I've had several students coming back over and over and I had one student all summer long that and they just came all summer and, and just wanted to find some peace in their hectic world out there. Um, so it, it's, it's, that's to me is what is fulfilling to see these students, like just light up with discovering their own, their own center, their own energy, their own balance, you know, and, and coming to that place where, um, it lifts them up. You know, that's, that's really what, what I enjoy. I think the most amazing. So I wanted to touch on some of the events and initiatives and rituals that you brought to campus. We already talked about the full moon ceremony that you lead every single month. I know we've done the last couple of years, uh, the witness to injustice blanket exercise once a semester, um, which I believe you've been involved in. We had the Haudenosaunee welcome gathering this past fall when students came back in August. So why has it been important to you to bring these indigenous traditional initiatives to campus and sharing those out with the campus community? Well, I think as a place of higher learning, such as Syracuse University, I think that it's kind of now the responsibility of, of the higher learning educational um, spaces to take up that, um, take up that responsibility of sharing uh, indigenous culture and Syracuse University has, has made amazing strides, even just, you know, in my position or, you know, to be really supportive of indigenous awareness. Um, our history has been so buried, so hidden, so uh, erased mm -hmm. that uh, many of even our own people don't even uh, realize the, the history that has been hidden. Um, for example, if you drive through New York State, you will see markers, historical markers all over the place. And rarely will you see one acknowledging the native personnel 
or the, the native community very rarely. And, you know, like when you fly into Syracuse, and I've said this before, when you fly in and land at the airport, you have, there's no acknowledgement at all in indigenous people when this is the birthplace of democracy. Right. This is where the United States government uh, fashioned their government after the Confederacy. They forgot one key important role of the women. It mm. is the, the clan mothers that choose these leaders. And it is a clan mother who has a, a, a duty to remove them if they're not listening to other people. Now, that was one of the major elements that the United States government left out. Imagine what a different world it would be if women were to choose our leaders and remove them when they didn't listen to their people. And so that, to me, that must come out in the forefront because there has been so much, um, so much harm done to Indigenous people and, and other races as well. This is true, but uh, Indigenous people's history has been so buried in education. When I was growing up in high school, there was only like five paragraphs that, you know, talked about the, you know, and it didn't even call us, I didn't show it, they called us Iroquois, which right. is a French word for snake kids or something like that. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, um, uh, it, it's really a, a, a terrible uh, injustice of even the knowledge coming out. So I think that it's really important that uh, educational systems uh, bring this to the forefront. Back in the 40s, the, uh, the chiefs and clan mothers from Onondaga had rewritten, and, and actually, I think it might have even been up uh, in the 60s or 70s even, and probably even more recent than that, but they have rewritten some of the history books, and, and the educational system at that time uh, refused to let uh, the, the history be told. Right. Because, you know, they, they wanted to be the experts, which is really sad. You know? It's so <laughs> yeah, shameful. Yeah. It is. It absolutely is. So, you know, I'm proud of Syracuse University and the, and the steps they're taking. And I think that um, that is kind of like one of my main uh, focuses here because, you know, they they wanted to title me Indigenous Healer. But I think the only healer there is, is our creator. So one who helps them is very befitting because I think that bringing about the awareness is so important of Indigenous people. And the reason being is because that when you think about, like, for example, the boarding schools, all of the children that they, you know, all the bodies that have been uncovered so far in Canada, well, and you hear people say, oh, that was in Canada. No, it was in the United States as well. But you have to also look at the, the, the uh, European entity that came here to do that to these children, these, these, uh, these boarding schools, not, not just boarding schools, but that trauma that they brought with them to put on another people, that trauma is in our DNA all over. So no wonder, you know, that there is just so many traumatic things going on in our world and in our life. You know, we really need to uh, come to a place of peace and forgiveness. So that's where I think is part of my duty here at Syracuse is to kind of bring these, we, we say all the, all people hear the messages of peace. So that's kind of what I'm, what I'm kind of including in my, in my job description. Yeah. So powerful, the work you're doing. And I'm really glad that you brought up the point about um, the importance of the role of women in traditional Haudenosaunee culture, because something I've been thinking about recently and ever since, especially since I attended the full moon ceremony where we showed gratitude to grandmother moon and, and mother earth, I've been thinking about the deficiency really in the feminine. And I don't mean 
necessarily gender or sexual identity. I just mean like the feminine and masculine um, properties within all of us and how we as a culture and as a society, I feel we've strayed too far in the direction of the masculine and, and what's really needed in this moment is more feminine energy and softness and but yet strength and nurturing and 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 bringing everybody back to this message of peace and loving. So do you have anything to say, any thoughts on that, on the, the role of the feminine in our society and in this cultural moment? Well, definitely the, the, the feminine, the, you know, the um, women were held in very high regard because life flows through us. And the same thing in the, in, uh, you know, in all of nature, the feminine, uh, you know, it comes through the feminine. Um, so it's, it, we hold that elevated status because of that, because we are of our ability to, to, um, you know, for life to flow through us. So, and, and given the, the uh, mother earth, that she provides all and gives all, all of life. So that connectedness is very, very key in the elements. But of course, we need our, our male uh, counterpart to kind of bring about that balance, but also uphold. So it's a very, um, it, it's a very necessary step in the, in our culture, that the men see that the women are uh, held in this status. Yeah. As a, as a faith keeper, can you just illuminate for us what that means in, you know, in your culture and how you came to hold the role of faith keeper for the Wolf Clan in Oneida Nation? Well, the faith keeper um, pretty much means just that one who helps, you know, uh, with, with the ceremonies, one who helps with connection, I guess, of that faith, keeping that faith. Um, I was asked to be a faith keeper back in uh, 1988. And it was the Wolf Clan that asked me to be a faith keeper. So I accepted that title back then. In the United Nation, we have three clans, a bear, the turtle, and the wolf. And there are three chiefs of the Wolf Clan, three clan mothers of the Wolf Clan, and three female faith keepers and three male faith keepers. Then of the bear clan, the same. So we had nine chiefs, nine clan mothers and male and female faith keepers. So it's part of a whole working uh, governmental structure that we all work together. And of course, you know, it's the clan mothers that oversee, oversee it all as, as mothers do. Yeah. So, Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so we touched on this in the beginning, but you've had, you know, quite a career outside of Syracuse University as a sculptor and, and singing backup for your sister, Joanne. Um, what are some of the favorite, your favorite pieces of art that you've created? Oh, gosh, you know, I, I used to think that every single piece of artwork uh, was my favorite that I was working on. I worked, started out in clay, and I just loved it. And I tried stone, and I just loved it. And I just tried wood, and, and every material was just like more and more. And then a couple of years ago, I, I mean, I, I've done a little bit of bronze here and there, not a lot. I took bronze at SU. But an artist named Jane D. Decker was commissioned by, uh, by the New York Parks Department um, to do a tribute called Ripples of Change in Seneca Falls. I was uh, asked to be a consultant because one of the ladies was going to be Haudenosaunee. So as a consultant, I was, um, you know, on the, on the line with Jane D. Decker, the artist, quite a bit. And um, she said to me, oh, Diane, I wish we had your energy out here on this piece. She was in Colorado. And um, she had had, I said, well, I can be there. <laughs> I can come there. So I flew, so my daughter, my son-in-law, my grandson and I, we all flew up to Colorado. And by when we arrived there, she had had the armature built, you know, and, and covered in clay. And um, she had kind of a, a little five foot two lady. I said, 
oh no no i didn't show any women are tall women with broad shoulders and <laughs> so we end up you know hiking her up or, uh, hiking her up about at least a foot and uh you know and i did the detail and we worked you know um on her and she is um laura cornelius kellogg that is now in seneca falls and she stands there with uh the three others that jane d decker did uh, harriet tubman sojourner truth and um suzanne wright so i was very honored to be part of that and that was that was probably like the highlight of my life because i always wanted to do monumental sculpture and it's pretty amazing she's nine foot tall and wow. yeah she, she's really really beautiful and i had a cousin help um model for her um, kyla smoke and um it's really uh it's really pretty that was the highlight of you know doing that but i have some other things coming up that i can't quite talk about yet but it's something that's really might even be even bigger so <laughs> well, we'll definitely have yeah. to share that news with the campus community when it's time um i i just i have one more piece that is uh currently going up right now in um casanovia and it's it's almost finished. Uh, we we uh, planted a white pine tree, and we have strawberries planted around it in the Haudenosaunee Belt um, bench there. And buried underneath are our weapons of words, as opposed to our war. So I we be- literally buried the paper with all the weapons of words buried underneath there, so people can come and contemplate, you know, that that uh, that energy of what needs to come is peace. That's so powerful because I do feel like we operate more now with weapons of words than weapons of war. You know, we don't really think about brutality or attacking each other physically, but we hurt each other with our words so often and sometimes without even knowing we're doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So the last question I had, and we did touch on your um, sister, Joanne, earlier in the episode who sadly passed away last fall. I just wanted to ask you as some, you know, I have a sister who's nine years younger than me. We're extremely close. She's my best friend in the world. And is Joanne your twin? She was twin practically sister. my twin. Now we're, we're very close in age. Apart. Okay. Yeah. Very close in age. Yeah. But she but, was older. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to ask, you know, how you're doing with the loss and, and, you know, uh, if there's any teachings from your culture that have helped you cope with death and grief. Oh, and- absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, we said we, uh, one of our teachings is that, you know, we, we come here for a certain amount of time. And when our time is finished no matter how we pass our time is finished and and it's part of that process so our journey here on earth is short that's why it's important that we remain grateful and in gratitude and peace and joyful and find our passions you know we find our passions when when we're happiest doing when time just flies by we're like wow that's already been two hours or you know whatever and that's one of your passions and that's what you should be following so in singing with joanne we used to sing when we were little together and uh, just kind of grew up, um, you know, like I said, my dad was a jazz guitar. So uh, we had a lot of music going around all the time. And then I went out to Santa Fe. She went up to college herself. And, you know, and so when uh, I came back home in 1990, she said, why don't you come sing with me, Diane? I said, okay. So we, we uh, flew out to Vancouver and opened for Gordon Lightfoot and um, 15,000 people. And I was like, oh, my God, Joanne, are you serious? And like, just don't look at anybody. Don't look at anybody. And my knees were shaking. And, you know, <laughs> I was trying to sing with her. So that took a bit to get used to, you know, large audiences. But we've, we've sung at amazing places. Oh, my gosh. We've sung at the Vatican. We've sung at 
the White House several times, inaugural balls. We voted for Willie Nelson and uh, Crystal Gale and Randy Travis. And, you know, Smokey Robinson came and saw us sing and kissed our hands, how beautiful it was. And the picture of Johnny Cash, you know, kissing us. And yeah, really, I mean, yeah, I could name drop all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had an amazing, amazing time. And for that, I'm truly grateful. Yeah. You know, she uh, brought me along and I lived in extraordinary journey with her you know and and singing and you know seeing places that I probably normally would have never gone to you know we sang in Turkey and you know I mean just all over all over the world it's it's been amazing how special that you got all that time together for sure yeah she has um gosh I don't even know how many recordings she has now she's over 24 recordings and I'm on the majority of them singing back up with her I'm the low voice (laughs) (laughs) do you still feel her presence Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All the time. Yeah. It's been, it's going on a year now since she's, since she's passed, but, you know, I just have to remind myself um, uh, that, you know, I'll see her when I go to creator's land, you know, and uh, just very grateful, grateful for the, for the journey that she shared with me. I'm very grateful for her. And she was my best friend. She was just very, very close to me. And yeah, we spent a lot of time on the road together. So we sang almost for 40 years together. So we had a lot of fun. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, again, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So just one last thing on a logistical note, if uh, if a student is listening to this interview and wants to work with you and wants to be exposed to your amazing energy, how would they go about doing that? Uh, They just call up the barns, call the barns uh, 443-8000 and uh, make an appointment. Yeah. Nice to see uh, Diane Chenna. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Q's Conversations podcast. Find more recent episodes by visiting news.syr.edu slash podcast or searching Q's Conversations wherever you listen.